Welcome back to The Bible Never Said That. My name is Shara Donahue, and I sure do love having you join me as we explore popular sayings that people love to say but miss the mark of sound theology. Today we'll be talking about a piece of family advice that we hear often in culture. And because it revolves around family, today my guest is my husband and father of our four kids, Joe Donahue. He'll be joining us as we talk about the saying, the kids always come first. Now, Joe, you've spent years as a biblical counselor and even served as a counseling pastor for a time. Is this advice that you give out? Well, thanks for the chance to sit with you today, Shara. This is a tough question because it seems so well-meaning. This is worldly wisdom that gets offered up with shades of benevolence and even sounding sacrificially loving, but it places someone or many ones at the top of the priorities list for the Christian that will eventually lead to a lot of frustration. Children are a blessing. Uh, Children are an inheritance from the Lord, it says in Psalm 127. And when we recognize them for what God has granted to us, uh, we see that they are wonderful gifts and they are to be stewarded according to his word and his ways. But when we put them so high up on the list of priorities that they end up overshadowing with all of their wants and needs and school activities and hobbies, anything else that we would give time to in this life, it quickly becomes a God of our own making. It quickly becomes the person whom we orient all of our other activities and events of life around. And that becomes really unhealthy, not only for the parent, but it becomes extremely unhealthy for the kids. When they think that they are the warm center of the universe around which all other things revolve, they get a complex really quickly that gets demanding and chaotic and turns into family dynamics that look something like a Jerry Springer episode. (laughs) Okay, yes. So you've talked a little bit about the danger for children if this philosophy is lived out. But what about the dangers for the individual who is putting the children before all other things? When People are elevating their children to uh, such high statuses as though they are the things that they live and breathe for every single day. Uh, They can quickly lose sight of the importance of other things that Christ has called them to. And Jesus does make it pretty clear in, I think it's Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, all this other stuff of life that we end up worrying about, fussing about, fretting about, and even having anxiety over, including our kids, will be taken care of, will be added unto you, will be in his hands, and those are the best hands for them to be in. If we take a step back for a minute and consider in Jesus's economy of uh, the family that husbands and wives together are supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church, well, obviously Jesus is going to make sure that he gives his attention, his affections, and all of his sacrificial care for his church, for his bride. 
And in the same way, husbands are to live out that sacrificial calling to treat their wives as partners for the sake of the gospel and co-heirs with Christ. But when we start elevating the status of our children or the position uh, and importance of our children to such a degree that then we are not attending to the needs of our spouses, that's when it can get really dangerous. And this is true even for single parents. I had parents that divorced when I was 13 years old, and so I got to see firsthand what it was like to live in a home with a single parent in each of those dynamics and what they seem to elevate up to greatest importance. What I can say out of that situation is that it becomes not only unhealthy, but it becomes devastating for the life of the parent to be in a position where their child is what they are chiefly concerned with the happiness of. If the aim of life fails short of what is pleasing to God most of all, it can become shifting sands that really easily lead to a house falling down. This is the illustration that Jesus gives in Matthew 7, around 24, I think, that if we're attending to what he has said, including the priorities that Jesus sets for ourselves and for our families and for all of life, then we're going to be like somebody who builds their house on a rock, that even when winds come and the storms prevail, that house doesn't fall down because it's built on something sturdier than the materials that are composing it. But when we build that house, when we build our life, in fact, on something that is ultimately shifting sands, that's when the tumult of life is going to quickly show us how shaky our foundation is and just how little effort it takes to topple that house. Yes, well, Paul Tripp says that if you are not resting as a parent in your identity in Christ, you will look for identity in your children. And that's a huge weight to put on their shoulders. But also, you don't get to live in the freedom that Christ intends for you when he is your first priority. So... What practical advice would you have for someone who is struggling to keep Christ as first priority when the chaos and blessings of children are raging around them? <laughs> yeah, well, when uh, we had our first child, I really didn't have a good idea of what we were in for <laughs> because it seemed like so much of our schedule could be easily moved around and you know, taking care of the things that an infant required just kind of happened naturally. They have a certain time that they need to sleep, eat, etc. But then when they start multiplying, and who knows how that happened, getting up to four <laughs> meant that suddenly now we're outnumbered. And yeah, we've really got to think more coherently about how to organize our lives and our days. So uh, a couple of things, obviously, we want to make sure for anyone who is a faithful, Christ-loving, Bible-believing Christian, how are you organizing your day in such a way that it shows Christ is your priority? Well, I'd offer, how does your day begin? <laughs> are you willing to start your day by saying, I'm going to get up a little bit before I know that even the first person in the house is going to be rising, and I'm going to give that time to Jesus. That's going to be where I meet with him because I want my day to be so full of his presence that whenever I have the opportunity to see someone, interact with someone, whether that's my spouse, my children, or 
coworkers. It's, it's going to be fueled by the presence of Christ in my life and his words first thing in my ears. Uh, okay. Or, okay. For my eyes. I, I think that that is a wonderful sentiment. <laughs> But you said what wisdom? Yes, so. yes. There are kids that are waking up at five thirty in the morning or four forty five. Yeah. And okay. so what about I, those? I was times? gonna I was gonna bring it around <laughs> to in in those situations. So obviously not everybody has the privilege of saying that they're at a point where their kids are more or less self sufficient and can take care of the basic things to start their days. You do have Parents that have brand new lives that they're responsible for and have to take care of because that is an infant that cannot do anything on its own. They, they are brand new. And so for those parents, I, I would want to encourage for as early in the day as it can be uh, set aside once the cries have been quieted, once the hunger pains have been alleviated, once the diapers have been changed and that tiny child is now at peace, to have that time set aside to be able to say, okay, God, what is it you would have for me today? Help me understand your plans and your will for my life. And going to scripture obviously is going to be the clearest way that we can hear that and see that for ourselves. But time spent just on our knees or saying, God, help me understand what your word has to say. Help me understand how this works out for my day. Help me understand what your desire is for my life and for this week. Very easily, we can end up reducing that down to just checking a box. And the life that we have in Christ is so much more. It's it's about relationship. It's not simply about a relative list of things that we need to accomplish in the day. We know what our day and our life is supposed to be oriented around and we'll have the peace of remembering that his word is going to prevail. It goes forward. It achieves what it means to. It doesn't come back void. We do definitely all understand that there are times when the schedules of children can feel especially demanding and that time in the word can replenish our strength that we remember, oh, where does my help come from? Oh, my help comes from the Lord. And that helps us to be better parents and to continue to walk through our days with the strength that we need because he has strengthened us. But there are things that sometimes just need to be tended to. If our kids have an emergency when we are trying to read our Bible, is it so wrong that we, you know, stop them from bleeding? <laughs> well, we also have to be careful that our children's sense of emergency doesn't translate always into our urgency. There are certainly going to be situations where, yeah, little Susie has fallen out of the crib and we need to get to her as fast as we can and figure out what's the damage and what needs to be done. And is this calling for a trip to the ER or is it Tyler has fallen down and scabbed his knee and he's probably going to be fine. He just needs to uh, remember that he's getting bigger and stronger. And this is part of how God is growing his resilience. And so we have to have a good sense as parents how the situation is going to impact our child. Is it so something so significant that without our help, they're going to be forlorn, destitute, and broken? 
Or is it something that this may be an opportunity for them to learn some dependence on the Lord of their own? If we come at a moment's notice every single time they are calling, especially when it is something that is otherwise minor, what they're going to learn is over time, rather than to rely on the Lord, to rely on the nearest person that they think can handle the problems of life for them. This reminds me of the story of Susanna Wesley. She was the mother to John and Charles Wesley and nine other siblings, actually. They had a very packed house. As you can probably imagine, with a house that full, she was very short on any kind of spare time. So what she improvised was needing to find time in the midst of her day and even in between meals and the chaos of kids widely ranging in ages. She would sit down and take her apron that she had on and pull it up over her head and made kind of like a makeshift tentative meeting for just her to bring her fears, her requests, her concerns, and her desires to God. And for as long as that apron was up, it was the signal to her kids, this is mom's alone time, her quiet time. And even though all the chaos was still going on around her, it still was just enough for her to have a break and be able to connect with uh, the God who had blessed her so many times. But we don't necessarily always have to have a, a closet or a separate room in the house that's dedicated to just solemn spiritual activities. God is ready to meet with us throughout the day, every day. And so whether it's in the time, in the car, on the way to driving the kids to school, that, that can be a sacred moment where we get to connect with Christ where he speaks the truth to our souls, and we can then take that into the rest of the day. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening, who should call right now? Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I love the idea of having a signal for my children. Mama is meeting with Jesus right now. Don't <laughs> come over here unless you're bleeding. I also think those redemptive moments and finding those times in between all of the scheduling is really good advice. I know some women who just leave their Bibles out on the counter so that they can come and read it when they have a moment between diaper changes and feedings, or as they get older, between soccer practice or picking somebody up from school. There are certain times of life when we are raising children that our lives feel pretty structured around their schedules. When does it become too much? How do we have discernment in that area? Mm, yeah. 
it's it's difficult at times because we're not only the organizers of our own schedules, but we're also responsible for when and how our kids get involved in activities and hobbies and other things like that. So we do have the discretion to be able to say, that's one more thing that's got to be added to the calendar, and then we're going to have to figure out what to do with it. But I'd say that there are a couple of good guideposts that can help us understand, is it getting to the point where this is starting to take over everything else? I'd say, first of all, if the organization of the kids' schedules and all of their hobbies, activities, school performances, etc., starts to overshadow all of the things that would lead to spiritual health for you and for them, ultimately, that's probably a good indicator that the things that our kids are getting into or even the things that are our preferences have started taking the place of what should be the priorities of Christ and his plans for our lives. I think that that hits on the biggest problem we encounter. We have plans for our own lives. We have developed plans for our children's lives, sometimes without even consulting them. We want them to play high school football, so we put them in peewee football in <laughs> kindergarten, and we have them at a certain place by middle school, and we just hope they're going to make the team, and then they're going to go to college on a scholarship, and then they're going to be in the NFL, and everything's going to be great, and all our plans will be fulfilled. But are they Christ's plans? How do you help people work out the difference between their plans for their children and Jesus's plans. Wow. It's really difficult at times because so often we can fool ourselves into believing that because the plans we've developed for our kids are right and good and seemingly leading them on a path to success must be Christ's plans, right? Because it's, it's going to mean that they're a productive citizen and it's going to mean that they're able to provide for their families maybe someday and do the things that we never got to do. and We start living vicariously through them. This actually reminds me of a line I've heard now a couple of times. There's a movie that's going to be coming out soon detailing the stories of Venus and Serena Williams. And Will Smith plays the father character in that movie where he's talking about all of these great plans. In fact, he, I think he's quoted as saying he developed a 78 page plan for their success, even before they were born. Now, I, I don't know if that's necessarily true, whether or not Venus and Serena's dad took that time and put that effort into their future tennis careers. But what it does say is that there is something seriously askew when all of what their lives are going to be oriented towards is measuring up to his plans for their success. And Christ has already made it clear what the criteria is for success when it comes to his economy. Are we putting him first? Are we living for the sake of the gospel? Are we existing that him and his kingdom would be first priorities in our lives? And are we continuing the work of making disciples who make disciples? Our, our children can be a great ministry field, an opportunity to be the first of the disciples, maybe that we spend an intense amount of time with. But if the ultimate direction that we're directing them towards is just to see our fantasies and our hopes and dreams realized because we couldn't get there or because we think it's what is best for them apart from Christ, it's going to be disaster. 
It's, it's ultimately leading them to idolatrous worship of something else as success, rather than saying, if I have Christ, what else do I ultimately need? Mm, I love that last part. If we have him, then we have what we need. However, I have to push back a little bit because what if my plans for my kids look like kind of a ministry pipeline? I'm going to put them in kids ministry and I'm going to put them in youth ministry and I'm going to pressure them into college ministry. Is that my plan for their life or is that God's plan for their life? What if his plan looks like I'm going to let them blow up their life when they're 19 years old so that they will see me truly, see me for who I really am, instead of follow a religion but never get to see the truth of who God is? What if he's willing to break them so that they will truly see? It's really difficult at times to bring those questions to scripture because God's word is so honest about the end result. There's a couple of different storylines that when I think about parenting and the hopes and dreams of and aspirations of parents and what that means in the lives of their kids have some pretty clear outcomes that give us all the confidence that God both is in charge and is sovereignly going to do what he desires to do in their lives. And at the same time, when our priorities are way out of whack, putting our hopes and dreams on their shoulders, it's going to lead to problems. I think probably the earliest one that scripture speaks of is Jacob and his 12 sons. He's got a whole slew by ultimately four different wives that he is trying to lead and guide and, and direct and grow up. And one of the last ones to hit the cradle is Joseph. And Joseph is apparently Jacob's favorite. He's the one that he dotes on. He, uh, he decides that he's going to give Joseph this place of prominence and mark him with this coat of many colors. Um, and this ornate decoration that he then places on the mantle of Joseph becomes too much for his brothers to ignore, and ultimately they sell him into slavery because they're tired of him taking his father's attention away from them. And so we see all of this desire that Jacob has to to bless his son and to make much of him and to do great things, but he actually has to be removed out of his family, out of his country, and into prison before he's in a place where, with humility, God can start doing incredible things with his life. And that's certainly not a story that Jacob would have chosen for him, and probably not a story that Joseph would have chosen for himself. But we see over time how Joseph responding to God's promptings, and even his invitations into things like working for the Pharaoh, lead to the saving of many. All of the difficulty and trials Joseph recognizes what you meant for harm, meaning his other brothers, God intended for good and for the saving of many. The, the other story that I think uh, people often consider when looking at the lives of their children is the prodigal son from Luke. You have this father who means good for his two sons and is uh, trying to help them understand the family business and all of what it's going to mean when he passes away. 
But of course, the younger brother is kind of foolish and impetuous and says, not only do I not find any interest in that stuff, I'd rather you just give me my share of the inheritance right now so I can go do what I want to do. And the father, because he's gracious, says, okay, I am not God here. I am not the one who is ultimately in charge of your life or responsible for you. I'm going to give you what you're asking for here, having some idea of what you may even end up doing with it. But I am going to trust that what is going to happen with you is totally within God's control still. And he blows it. Every last cent of it on easy living, drinking, and living it up for the moment. YOLO. And when he ends up coming home, his father is waiting, ready to receive him back. And this is what Jesus does for us. He makes it possible for us to be restored to the father through his sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection. He restores us. He brings us into the fold of his family and to be loved and enjoyed by God. That doesn't mean that all of our plans become his plans, but it does mean that the good plans that he has for us are what we need to be seeking. The book of Ephesians is a great template for all of this. The first three chapters of which are all about the gospel and its implications for our lives. What does it mean for us to be saved? What does it mean for us to be blessed? What does it mean for us to be adopted into the family of God? But ultimately, it starts going towards the practical. In chapters four through six, we start seeing what does this mean for our community? What does this mean for the nature of our relationship with our spouses or even for our children and how children are supposed to respond to parents? It's a beautiful picture of the way God organizes the priorities for our lives with him in first place and all the things that should be coming afterwards. So when we organize things according to the priorities of God, that is in fact the best gift that we can offer our kids. Rather than trying to meet all of their desires, organize our entire lives around their plans and their progress and what they think is going to lead to their success, or even when we think we know best for what's going to lead to their success in this world. If what we build it on instead is the centrality of Christ and the gospel, that will be what sustains them. When the world rocks them, when they leave our homes, when they're facing trials and difficulties and even disasters, Christ in their lives, it's going to be what sustains them. So when we are living that out, when we are showing them what it means to have Jesus as the first treasure of our hearts, that's going to be what they pick up on. And ultimately, as adolescents and even adults, what's going to help them be centered in something other than them being at the center of the universe. Yes, we do not want our children thinking they are the center of the universe. And we want to guide them towards Jesus and hopes that they too will follow him and know the great delight of having him as the center of their lives. So let's pray for that now. Lord, help us to seek your kingdom first. Help us to not be so deluded that we would put anything, even our children, before you. For you are the one who deserves all our praise and our worship. And our children are but gifts from you. Help us to disciple them well. Help us to lead them well. 
Help us to model for them what it means to live a life that is centered on Christ and not any other thing that could fall and fail us. Children can fail, spouses can fail, jobs can fail, but you never will. Help us to stand on that truth and shine it for others to be able to see, including our children. And Lord, for those listening that have children, we pray that their children would know you and love you and seek after you with their whole lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me today, Joe. It was a delight to introduce you to the listeners and the verses and articles that we referred to during this episode can be found in the show notes at lifeaudio.com slash podcast or on iTunes. And if you're over in the notes, we'd love if you would rate and review this podcast so others can find us. And until next time, may you seek the abundant life Jesus died to give and live in the truth that sets people free. Hello, my name is Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we're the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, check us out, Life After Addiction Podcast, and you can subscribe at lifeaudio.com.